0: You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer.
1: Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, In our last lecture, we began to talk about Isaiah 55. We didn't get very far, so we have a lot to talk about today. Let's go ahead and get started. When we look at Isaiah 55, we want to see the central verse as verse 7, in which we are told, "...let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts." Let him return to Yahweh, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now again, we want to see primarily that the emphasis here is on the returning to Yahweh, the one who has compassion, the one who abundantly pardons. For we sin, and we daily sin much, but God abundantly pardons and he has compassion upon us. In fact, this is the whole reason why God sent forth his Son. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. See, again, sin separates us from God, and sin brings death. But the Word of God brings life. So Christ comes to restore us, to renew us, to reconcile us, and, of course, to redeem us with his own precious blood. Now, in this chapter where we talk about God's compassion and God's abundant pardon, we open up with these words, a word of invitation at verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money... Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Of course, throughout the scripture, we are taught that man does not live on bread alone. We are taught from the physical realm that we need bread. We need food in order to live. Likewise, we need drink. We need water in order to live. We need this source from God, God who sustains his creation that he's created. But again, sin has separated us from God. And in our fallen nature, you see mankind making images of God in their own fallen image. This, of course, is the idolatry. This is the false worship. False worship is worship without God's word and thus without God's spirit. No institution by God, no promise by God, no forgiveness of sins, no salvation, and no eternal life. But the Israelites have found themselves following false gods. They've been following after the worship of their contemporaries and trying to emulate those man-made methods of obtaining holiness, but of course to no avail. The idolatry has caused the Israelites to be thirsty and hungry. They have labored after that which does not satisfy. Now we have a word of invitation, a word of rejoicing, of celebration, of feasting, of eating, and of drinking. The God himself invites his people to return. Of course, in the days of Isaiah, in this second volume of Isaiah, the second half, this is when the people of God have found themselves in exile, outside of the promised land. But it's the remnant that clings to the promise in the midst of adversity, in the midst of affliction, trials and tribulations. In fact, Martin Luther, the Blessed Reformer, says that this passage right here shows to us this exhortation for the Christian in the midst of his or her trials. The heart of the believer needs to constantly be reminded of God's compassion and abundant pardon. The mind needs to constantly be restored and renewed and cleansed by God's word. Now, Luther will note as he's lecturing here on this passage in Isaiah that you have a distinction between milk and wine, that you are to come and buy wine and milk without money or price. And so Luther makes the distinction as milk for children and wine for adults, that all ages, all stages of God's people are to hear his word and to rejoice in the voice of God. Now, when we look at these words of God, reminding us that he is the source of life, both physically and spiritually, that he's the one who restores us in both body and soul. We see such hymns of praise as Psalm 36, in which we are taught to say, "'How precious is your loyal love, O God, and the children of humankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings.'" They are refreshed with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Now Again, notice the two images you have here in Psalm 36 about the water, the source, the fountain of living water. Here in this invitation in Isaiah, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Now, of course, you also have the imagery of darkness and light. It is in his light that we see light. Now, Jesus himself, of course, is the fountain of life, and he is the light of the world. Now, the imagery of the fountain of life, the source of water, the source of life itself. Christ comes to give himself that we may live. Now in Isaiah, we see such imagery going all the way back to Isaiah chapter 12. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Or in Isaiah 48, they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. Of course, it's the image of the Christ, the one who hangs on the tree, who makes that accursed tree of death into the source of life. When his side is pierced and the water and the blood flows from him, giving to us the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. You'll see this imagery picked up again in Isaiah 49. that, that we are told to say to the prisoners, Come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. Again, notice here in Isaiah 49 that combination of the hunger and the thirst of the water and even the light itself. The imagery that the one who is in darkness now is delivered out of that darkness and brought into light. And where there is light, there is life. It is in the light of Christ that we see light. It is in Christ who is the source of life who is the word who created all things, and apart from him nothing came into existence. It's that same word that restores us and renews us and pours out the Holy Spirit upon us. Now, Later on in Isaiah 66, we have the same kind of an imagery. For thus says Yahweh, look, I'm about to spread prosperity out to her like a river, and the wealth of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall suck and be carried on the hip, and you shall be played with on the knees. Not only is water the source of life physically, and it points towards the source of life spiritually. Again, think of flowing rivers as this abundance, this being poured out from God, that the supply never ends. Now, even in Isaiah 55, you have a very similar image that the word is the life-giving rain. As the rain comes down from the heavens and waters the ground, then you have the vegetation sprout up. So in Isaiah 55, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, And bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. Of course, in this we see God's life giving word, the word that brings life, the word that comes from heaven. And of course, this is the picture and the image of the incarnate one. The Son of God who is sent by the Father, the Word who was in the beginning, the Word who is God, the Word who was with God, and who is sent by God and takes upon flesh in order to come down and give to us life. So you have that image of the water that comes down from the heaven as incarnational language. Now, in John's gospel, when we hear about the Son of Man that comes down from heaven, we are told that Jesus is this source of life. And you'll notice how Jesus will connect the words of life with water that flows from him. So, for instance, in John chapter 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Remember back at Isaiah 12, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And remember here in this passage of Isaiah, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Jesus is declaring to be this fountain of water, the fountain of life. Later on in John chapter 6, Jesus will use the same type of imagery, saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He is the living bread that comes down from heaven. So again, that invitation Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Also in John's Gospel, in the next chapter 7, we hear the same kind of an imagery that Jesus will use at the Feast of Tabernacles. So John 7 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, again, notice this connection between water and life. Notice the connection between physical water and spiritual water. And, of course, notice the connection between God's Spirit being poured out like water. Upon whom? The thirsty, those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. So remember, back in Isaiah 32, that the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Likewise, in Isaiah, you have the connection between water and the Spirit in chapter 44. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. So again, notice that connection between physical water and spiritual water, where there is physical life when water is poured out on the dry ground. There is spiritual life when the Holy Spirit is poured out. Now, These words of Isaiah are also echoed in Revelation chapter 7, in which we are told by John, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Why? Because the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Notice that connection to Isaiah 49, that they shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. Now here in Isaiah 55, the invitation is to the thirsty to come and to drink. Come to the waters, the waters the Christ himself comes to bring. Now remember the invitation here in Isaiah 55 is to buy wine and milk. Now, As Luther had said, made a distinction between the wine for adults and milk for the children. Well, Eusebius of Caesarea points out the milk in conjunction with what the Apostle Peter says in his first letter to the baptized. Now, Peter writes in chapter 2 about the spiritual rebirth, saying, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious." So, of course, what Eusebius is doing is making the connection between milk is the spiritual rebirth, this pure spiritual milk. But on the other end of the spectrum, Eusebius talks about the wine and making the connection to, of course, the cup of the New Testament in Christ's blood. that The Lord invites us to his supper to take and to eat, to take and to drink for our life and sanctification. Our salvation through the forgiveness of our sins. And when we talk about this invitation of coming and eating and drinking. Of course notice that Isaiah says to buy. But you buy without money and you buy without price. Now this is a strange imagery of purchasing something without money. But this is the language of grace alone. You see it has been purchased and won by Christ alone, by his merit. He's the one who has paid the price in his own blood. In fact, St. Ambrose in the 4th century writes and says this, For he who paid for us with the price of his blood did not ask a price from us, because he redeemed us not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood. Of course, this is what Peter talks about in his epistle, that Christ has purchased us, not with gold or silver, but his precious blood. Later on in the book of Revelation, we still have this image of the feast, the celebration of the Lamb and his kingdom, the feast of victory. Are we hear in Revelation chapter 21? It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Now, again, notice that echoing of the words of Isaiah. Without payment he gives from the spring of water. The spring of water of life. And then later on in Revelation 22, The spirit and the bride say, Come. That's the language of invitation. And let the one who hears say, Come. Come. And let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So here twice in the book of Revelation, you have the understanding that this water is given freely to us without payment and without price because Christ himself has purchased us with his own blood. And so we are invited to join in the celebration feast of the Lamb and his kingdom. The language of feasting and rejoicing is, goes all the way back to Proverbs chapter 9, where wisdom says, wisdom, of course, being the second person of the Holy Trinity, where wisdom says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Again, notice in Proverbs 9, wisdom. Wisdom says to come and eat bread and to drink wine. And then in the New Testament, the incarnate wisdom, comes and says, take and eat, this is my body, this is my blood. Of course, the Apostle Paul reminds us that as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, going back to Isaiah 55, we pick up at verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Now, this language of listening to me is God calling and inviting that we would hear his voice and we would have life, that we would listen to his word and we would be revived, that the thirsty, the hungry, would be satisfied and filled. And recall that the earthly passions of hunger and thirst point us to the spiritual desire of thirst and hunger for God's Word. As we look to physical food and drink to sustain our bodies, we look to physical food and drink to sustain our souls. In fact, remember the lesson learned in Deuteronomy 8, that God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. As the people of God became hungry in the desert, They were to turn to God, the one who promised to be their God and to feed them, to protect them, to take care of them, the one who would nourish them both physically and spiritually. Yet when they went into the promised land, even with all of God's promises about the rain that would come from the sky, from the heavens, that would water the earth and give to them plenty of crops, that they would have plenty of food to eat and to drink, that they would be blessed by listening to his word and walking in his ways. But yet they broke the covenant and they received the curses, the curses that went along with the people of God who did not want to listen to God's voice, who rejected his word and resisted the work of the Holy Spirit. Instead, they sought after false worship. They looked to the rituals of the Canaanites to try to secure God's blessings. But idolatry does not satisfy. False doctrine leads to death. Whereas true doctrine, that is, from the spirit of truth, gives life. So where you have God's word, you have life and you are fed with life. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon you. But without God's word, there is no forgiveness and there is no life. And when the Word of God became flesh and tabernacled amongst us, in John's Gospel we are told of the account of Jesus feeding the multitude. And then later on in John 6, we hear Jesus say, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now again, notice the connection and the echoing of the words in Isaiah 55. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, And delight yourselves in rich food. But when the word of God came in the flesh, his own did not receive him. They would not listen to him. And instead they worked for the food that perishes. But they would not receive the food that endures to eternal life. The food that the Son of Man promised to give. Now notice that Jesus says those multitudes, the people who were seeking him in John chapter 6, were seeking him for the wrong reasons. They were merely seeking him because they saw signs and they wanted to eat their fill of the loaves. They just wanted to feast on earthly bread. They did not want to receive the eternal bread the life-giving bread, the living bread that comes down from heaven. Now Isaiah 55, of course, warns us later on that we are to seek Yahweh while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. And let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to Yahweh, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon So in John's gospel, when the word of God is there to be sought by the people of God, they didn't seek him for the eternal gift that he promises to give. They only wanted a temporary fix. They were only thinking of filling their bellies. Now, furthermore, in John's gospel, Jesus will tell them that he is the light of the world and that they are to walk in the light while he is among them. But when he is... But when the light is removed, they would stumble in the darkness. Jesus tells them in John's Gospel, also in chapter 5, that they search the Scriptures because they think that in them they have life. But it is the Scriptures that bear witness of him, and that he invites them, but they will not come, that they may have life. Now again, we move from the physical to the spiritual the understanding of being physically hungry and thirsty and being temporarily satisfied and needing to eat and to drink again. On the one hand, but on the other hand, we understand the spiritual hunger and thirst, that in Christ we will be satisfied. In him we will not thirst or be hungry again, for he's the one who satisfies us eternally. Now this picture of the physical to the spiritual, of the eating and the drinking, of the passion of being hungry and thirsty, and being filled by God, is also reflected in the song of Hannah. Now remember what Hannah sings in 1 Samuel chapter 2, those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Now, also, we see this in the Song of Mary at the announcement that she would be the vessel of the Lord, that the son of David would be born through her, that she would conceive by the Holy Spirit, although she was a virgin. And she rejoices and sings and says that God has filled the hungry with good things. Again, to the one who is hungry and to the one who is thirsty, you come to Christ. He has the words of eternal life. So in Isaiah, the question is, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? It's echoed in the words of Jesus in John 6. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, redeemertheologicalacademy.org. Again, that's redeemertheologicalacademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.